Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I got into non-monogamy to explore intimacy with other people, but the intimacy that has been most challenged is the one that I have with myself, with who I am, what I want, what love means to me, what desire means to me, what pleasure means to me, what my boundaries are. It is very much, for me, a journey of self-discovery, more so than it is anything else. Welcome back to Open Late. This is a Soul Fire production, and I'm your host, Jessica Spandiari. Today I have with me, um, I guess, an internet friend, right? We met about two, two and a half years ago, maybe, in an online space with a connection to, I think, Burning Man and also wanting to create um, open conversations. I think it was during, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement around the time of the murders of George Floyd. And so we were both in a space where we were helping people, um, I think, create safe spaces for conversation, for grieving, um, for activism. And we met this one time, I think I was leading a meditation or something. And I uh, met Evita in that space. And I was like, she's in an open relationship. I'm in an open relationship, but nobody knows. <laughs> and so it was right around the time that I came out publicly. Um, and I've been following her ever since. And so I'm super excited to introduce um, Evita Sawyers to you all today. She goes by Levita Loca online, and she is a content creator, educator. Um, she helps people as a coach transition from monogamous relationships to non-monogamy and how to do that um, as best they can, because we're all on this journey kind of figuring it out. Um, and she is an excellent model for that. So welcome to the show. Evita. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm looking forward to um, having this conversation. I think podcasts are probably like my favorite thing to do. They feel a lot more um, intimate and um, just like conversations, but a lot of really good things come from them. So I'm looking forward to what comes from this one. Yay. Well, thank you for being here. I know. So you're in Ecuador right now, right? Yes. Um, I appreciate you making the time and space while you're in the beautiful jungle, probably enjoying some time disconnecting from technologies and medias and things like that. Yeah, I actually just spent the weekend. Um, I took a little like mini sort of uh, or micro vow of silence. And so I spent two days, um, no social media, no listening to music, no talking to anyone. Um, uh, and it was, uh, very interesting and very illuminating. I don't spend time in silence very often. Um, um, and it definitely made, it made me want to be more intentional about taking time for uh, silence, but where I am at in uh, Ecuador is called Macas. It's a small, like a small town or small living, small, like kind of, you know, kind of almost country, I guess. Living, I would say, it's very small. Um, it's not a bustling metropolis. Um, and I'm house-sitting for some friends that run a plant medicine retreat space here in Ecuador, but had to go to uh, the States for um, a month 
And, uh, and so I'm out here uh, just keeping an eye on the house and their animals and things and doing a lot of reading and meditating and sitting and listening to the jungle and, and uh, kind of unplugging. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Wow. I can imagine that it's been like a, maybe a deeply healing experience for you to have this space. Are you down there solo? Yes, I am by myself. And uh, it's actually, it's funny, I was thinking about this. I have not touched another human being to even so much as give them a handshake in a month, um, which I probably, this is probably, I probably can't say that in my entire life now that I think about it. Um, I don't know that I could say that I've had a, any period in my entire life where I've gone that long without any kind of touch. Um, uh, my friends, um, I'm here by myself. They have a housekeeper and a groundskeeper, uh, but they only come three days out of the week uh, for like, you know, a few hours for the day and then they go home um, and they speak Spanish and I speak a little bit of Spanish, but not much. Um, and so uh, I'm completely here by myself, no friends, no partners. Um, uh, and uh, there's not really neighbors um, where the house is. They have neighbors, but I don't interact with them. So it is very, 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 very alone. Very, very alone. I go into town occasionally to get things that I need um, when I need them. But for the most part, I'm here in the house. Like I said, reading. Doing, I, I was working on a book, um, and so I did a lot of writing while I was here. So it's kind of like a, almost like a mini writer's retreat, sort of. So mm -hmm. reading and writing, and uh, like meditating, and and just kind of um, sitting with myself. Um, and it's been uh, very interesting. I'll say that. So <laughs> it's very interesting, very interesting time. I, I'm curious to see yeah. like what. Uh, like what I feel like this period of time in my life has like brought in me um, when I reflect back on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious too. I kind of can't wait for what will be birthed from this, whether it's your book or um, just new revelations about like who you truly are. Because so much of who we are, I think in our you know day-to-day -day reality is so relational. Mm -hmm. And not many of us ever have that experience to get to know ourselves outside of relationships with others um, yeah so yeah it's probably going to be really profound and um you had just shared with me before we started that you have three kids I knew you had children but I can imagine you know I can only imagine I guess because I don't have kids yet but as a mama to to be able to take that space for yourself is like such a gift yeah well, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, my husband and I are separating after being together for um, about 16, 17 years. And so kids stayed with him and I moved across the country to uh, live with my mom, number one, because she was caring for my elderly aunt at the time. She has since passed away. Um, and then also to sort of reset and kind of figure out like what, you know, I'm going to do now post-divorce. And so I've been away from my children now for close to a year. Um, I moved in uh, June of last year. Um, and then uh, this opportunity presented itself uh, for my friends. And I've been to Ecuador before. This is my third time being here. Um, and uh, But the opportunity presented itself uh, where my friends, you know, like I said, they were coming to uh, the United States and uh, they needed someone to stay in the home. And so I was like, well, you know, I have the time and the ability to, um, and so, and so I, I, I took the opportunity, um, and I'm, I, I'm grateful I did. It, it feels like adventure, you know? Um, yeah. and I'm a very, uh, adventurous, I try to be an adventurous person when I can. And I do feel like sometimes as parents, 
we kind of, you know, once we kind of have kids, the adventures are kind of a little bit maybe over or on pause um, Mm -hmm. for a period of time. Uh, And that's not a judgment, but, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, I've still been able to live a life of adventure, um, even as I, you know, am a parent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's actually something I think about too. Like, entering into motherhood kind of like later in life most of my friends you know from when I was younger already had kids or were married and I'm about you know I'm 37 and now I'm just starting that journey and I almost didn't want kids for a long time selfishly because I'm like I love my life as it is now and I just I kind of had a sexual awakening when I was like 30 31 32 I I wasn't doing anything in my 20s and so I was like I don't really want to give this up and then I got a really good coach like a year and a half ago who was like, what do you think you have to give up by being a mom? Like you can still be adventurous and, and be who you are. Of course, like things will shift and your priorities will change, obviously. Um, but you don't have to sort of put this identity of, you know, open or sexually adventurous or whatever it is like on the shelf. You can still be that. Um And just in the little bit I know of you, like it, you know, knowing you kind of as an online friend, not even really a friend, but like I met you and then I followed you. So I feel like I know you a little bit as most people do. Um, I see that side of you and it's like really inspiring um, to be an educator and talk about sensuality, sexuality and exploration and, you know, hold all the space to, to be an amazing mother and, you know, all the things. So, um, I commend you for that. And which is why I want more people to find your work. I've had a lot of listeners and some of you listening um, probably know this. They ask me all the time, like, well, I'm married and I have kids. You know, it looks so easy for you when you post about going to a play party. And I'm like, I got to get more moms on my show because I go to parties sometimes and I meet parents, you know, all the time. Lots of parents. And I often find it so like, I feel like people feel like, you know, when you have kids, your life stop. And I, I don't particularly subscribe to that. I also feel like, um, in a, in some ways that's unhealthy. I think that's why, um, you know, empty nesters, uh, you know, you find that they get divorced or they have these sort of midlife crises or all of these things that occur because they stopped living when they had their kids. And then when the children were gone, it was like, I don't know myself. You know, I don't know who I am mm-hmm. anymore. I lost myself in this role of being a, a parent. And, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm coming home and sitting on the couch and, you know, telling my kids like, hey, you know, you know, mom and dad went to the sex party last night and had a threesome. And it was right. great, you know, like, that's not what's happening. Like, no, so those <laughs> things aren't occurring. I mean, I am honest with my children about um, like who I am as an individual but in an age appropriate way. So, um, and I also uh, don't feel um, the necessity to like hide these aspects of myself, number one, cause they're not shameful. Um, and then number two, like I want to raise children who know that there are options, you know? I didn't discover a lot of this stuff till I was in my thirties and you know, now I'm, I'm 40, you know? And um, I've been non-monogamous now for about a decade um, or close to a decade. Um, and like, I didn't really discover this until I, like I said, it was in my thirties. Um, and had I have discovered these things at a younger age, um, I might have made better choices and had a firmer grasp on like who I was as a relational being, who I was as a sexual being, um, you know, uh, sooner. 
And I do believe that we arrive to things when we do. And so I'm grateful that I arrived to things when I arrived to them. I feel like we arrive to things when we're ready to, you know, receive them and, and interact with them. Um, so I don't feel like there are mistakes in that. But I definitely want my children to, you know, know that there are so many options and not like go through this period of feeling pressure to try on these like relationship um, and relating like clothes that don't fit just because like they don't they, like the store that they're going to only has a limited number of sizes. You know what I mean? So I want them to know that there's a world full of sizes um, and there's lots of things that you can try on. I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to raise you know, non-monogamous children or polyamorous children or, you know, children that are quote unquote, you know, sexually liberated. I'm just trying to raise children that know that there are options. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's really what's most important to me. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I kind of want to back up and know how your journey to opening up was. Um, so you said about a decade in the non-monogamy space. So I'm guessing like this happened when you were in a monogamous relationship with your husband. Um, what, like whose idea was it? What was the first couple steps? Like how did that all play out? So that's really funny because most couples, it was somebody's idea. You know, somebody had a conversation about it and uh, said, you know, or I wanted to try this thing or maybe they, you know, developed feelings for a person. And, you know, and that's where it came from. Um, I always say that my husband and I sort of evolved to this place. <laughs> um, so it was nobody's idea, really. Um, and actually, the joke that we had was our non-monogamous journey started with a 2 chain song uh, called Birthday Song, um, because he has a line in there about like, you know, they've been together 10 years and, you know, he deserves a menage. And about that time, my husband and I were married, like I said, about nine, 10 years. Um, and so we would kind of joke about that. And I was uh, bisexual um, and he was aware of that. And uh, at the time, um, we were going through a pediatric cancer. One of my children uh, was diagnosed with uh, brain cancer when he was six. So life was really, really like crummy. <laughs> Um, and just difficult. And um, mm. we were like, you know, we need to have some fun. Um, I wanted to explore my sexuality. Uh, my husband had a bunch of sexual hangups. Um, and so we were like, you know, let's just do some wild shit, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. um, and that's really kind of how it started. And so I think the first like thing, you know, that we did was we went to the strip club together, which was our first time kind of doing that as a couple. And I remember him getting a lap dance and I got a lap dance too. And just not really being super bothered by it. Like I was like, okay, like, you know, he's here, he's getting a lap dance. Eh, It's a little uncomfortable, but like also like I'm getting a lap dance too. And it just like really wasn't that big of a deal, you know? Mm -hmm. And then the next thing we tried was, you know, we wanted to have a threesome. So we were like, okay. And, you know, you know, this, uh, there's a lot of stuff around this, you know, in, in the non-monogamous community, but like we weirdly sort of pursued this in the right way without necessarily knowing it was the right way. So we didn't like go online, you know, kind of unicorn hunting and trying to find people, you know, I literally was like, why don't we go to Nevada and go to Pahrump and hire a sex worker? You know, that's probably, you know, like, yes. it, yeah, that's like what we should do. So I'm looking, looking this up. And it was really expensive. <laughs> and we were like, we do not have the money for this. And so then I, I think I tried to find like another website to do it. And it was still pretty pricey. So we kind of tabled that. We had an encounter with a friend of mine. And that was like, you know, okay. 
but it was a little too close for comfort. It was someone that was really close to me. And, you know, I, I didn't do well with it. And then I was randomly on Meetup and discovered this group called, it was Open Minded Couples or something like that. And it was a swinger, mm-hmm. swinger group. And they would host, mm-hmm. periodically they would host events. You could join the group and then you would go. And, uh, and so I told my husband, I saw that they were having an event. And I signed us up and I was like, all right, we're going to go to this thing, you know? <laughs> and it was so funny because like we didn't know anybody there. It was like out in the middle of nowhere in San Diego. And he was very like, what the hell are we doing? Like, where are we going? <laughs> like, it was in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> where are you taking me? Right. He was, like, you don't, he was like, you don't know anybody here? And I was like, no, like the sense of adventure, you know? You don't know anybody here? And I was like, no, you don't know what to expect? No. Like, we had never been to a swinging party. Neither of us had never been like individually. Um, and so we were just like, really just like kind of, you know, like it was wild, wild frontier, you know? <laughs> and yeah, uh, He's like deer in headlights. <laughs> right. We were just like, okay, we're going to do this. Um, and so we went to our first swinger party and, um, it's really funny because I, uh, we started with like these rules. We were like, okay, you know, we're not, uh, we're not going to kiss anybody. I was not to, uh, interact with any men. And, um, and he was not to give any women oral sex. That was the rules, you know, <laughs> going into the thing. But everything else was fair Everything game. else was fair. Honestly, and by the end of the night, the rules were gone, okay? So we, we, got, we got a little bit, got some goose, blame it on the goose. And, uh, and by the end of the evening, all the rules were gone. We were just like, all right, no more rules. They're gone. So, um, and, uh, and it was wild. It was a wild time. Like, it was, it was, it was very much like, whoa, kind of entry into that. And then we met a couple that was there that we played with um, and they introduced us to kind of their swinger community. And so that's how we started mm-hmm. our swinger, you know, um, uh, career. <laughs> um, career. And uh, that lasted for probably somewhere between, I'm going to say like about a year. Um, and uh, and through the swinger community is how we became aware of polyamory and what polyamory was, which swinging is a huge gateway. I tell people all the time, huge gateway to uh, polyamory yeah. and non-monogamy. Um, so, uh, so we started with swinging, which is, you know, recreational sex. Um, and while we did have friendships and, you know, we had regulars and people that we would see and we would have occasionally people that we would interact with on an individual basis, but they weren't really relationships. Um, that worked mm-hmm. very well for me. So I do not need, I can literally sleep with somebody whose name I don't know and have, okay, <laughs> have recently. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't need a lot to uh, be sexual with a person or to experience sexual attraction. Um, it's not something that I need a whole lot of. I can sleep with someone, never talk to him again, it'd be fine. Um, my husband, on the other hand, not so much, which even that is something that we think is different. You think the the woman would be the one who would be, you know, need more emotional connection or whatever. And the man would be the one that, you know, wouldn't need that. At least that's how they paint it in society. Um, what, what I found right. um, at navigating uh, this community is that, you know, uh, there are lots of women like me and there are lots of men like him to where like he needs more emotional mm-hmm. connection um, to feel more comfortable being sexual with um, others. And um, so swinging was very challenging for him, whereas for me, it was a piece of cake. So um, we were at a party. A woman comes in with her boyfriend and her husband. And um, she comes in with her boyfriend and their husband comes in later on. And they're all just kind of hanging out, chopping it up. And it was like mind blowing to us. We were like, whoa, like, you know, this is a thing. And it was very appealing to my husband 
Um, because like I said, you know, recreational sex with people that he didn't really have much of a relationship with just really wasn't wasn't working for him. Um, whereas for me, um, at that time, I considered myself much more what I would call sexually uh, non-monogamous in that I really liked having a variety of sexual partners and a variety of sexual experiences, uh, but I did not want to engage in multiple emotional, you know, um, relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, I very much felt at that time that like, you know, your body's just a shell. Sex is just something that you do. To me, it's like a, a, at that time, it's a, it was like a bodily function. And in some ways, I still feel that way. I mean, like I'm like animals do it. Birds do it. Insects do it. You know, it's something that we all do. But what makes you you, your essence, your time, your regard, your affection, your love, your care, like those were the things I didn't want to share, you know, with somebody else. So um, so the thought of like my husband having relationships with people that he had an emotional connection with was highly, highly, highly unsettling for me. And so we tried it out, went on a couple of dates. He went on one date. I completely lost it. And we were just like, okay, we're going to table this. <laughs> we're going to table it. Yeah. Because yeah, this is, this. Yeah, this is a little too, this is a little too volatile. And so we stopped doing everything for a while. So we didn't do uh, dating um, and we really didn't swing for about six months. Um, and then we got back into it. And when we started, you know, going back into non-monogamy, um, I began to be a little bit more uh, open to the idea of of seeking emotional relationships, because at that time, you know, I'd only had sex with women, um, but I never had an actual relationship with women. And I wanted that experience. I'm definitely a bi-romantic bisexual. You know, I'm not only sexually attracted to both genders or multiple genders, but I'm also romantically attracted to multiple genders and wanted to engage in romantic relationships with women and not just sexual ones. And the current structure of our relationship Mm -hmm. at the time didn't afford for that. So, um, so we got back into the swing of things, uh, literally, with the intent mm-hmm. of seeking to establish actual emotional connections with people and see what that space was like. And normally, couples with a cisgender heterosexual male and a cisgender bisexual woman are usually, they kind of enter into non-monogamy looking for a woman to, you know, be with the both of them. We didn't enter that way because we were just like, there is no way that we're going to find a woman that we both like because we have such different tastes in women that we were just like, oh, no. Yeah, right. we were just like, there's no way that this is going to work. So yeah. he went to, he was supposed to go find his own person. I was supposed to find my own person. And we randomly met a woman at a swinger party that we went to that we both liked. And uh, our first polyamorous relationship was born. We formed a triad uh, with her. That lasted for about two years. Um, it was uh, she moved in with us. She was like a third parent to our children. Um, it was highly volatile uh, because uh, it was all of our uh, first time at the rodeo. Nobody knew what they were doing, um, and um, and so it it imploded spectacularly um, uh, uh, in 2016. So we met her in 2014. It ended in 2016, and then by that time we were open, you know? And so, uh, and we've never gone back. And so we've had variety of, you know, relationship configurations, never dated anybody, the same person ever again. That, that was something we never did again. But, um, I, you know, he's had partners and, you know, different partners. I've had partners and different types of partners. I dated a couple for about a year and a half. Um, and, um, and so, and then in 2020, 
um, we made the, uh, well, he made the decision. So I agreed or accepted it <laughs> for us to, um, to separate. Um, and so now we're in the process of separating and transitioning our relationship to a peaceful co-parent uh, relationship for our children. And so that's kind of my uh, segue or my, my, my origin story of how I became a uh, non-monogamous. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for, for sharing so candidly. And um, so many points along your journey, I'm thinking, you know, for those who are listening, they're going to be like, oh, wow, like, you don't have to have it all figured out to like, jump in. Um, I think that there's like a lot of gatekeeping in the kind of polyamory non-monogamy space sometimes, or not a lot, but just like any space, right? You have people who are like, you've got to do it this way and don't come in unless you have your shit figured out. And it's like, well, that's not fair because none of us do. And even if you're dating kind of like in a monogamous way, things implode and things like will get fucked up and you'll kind of not realize that you're not being intentional or whatever it is. But it sounds like you two had like beautiful experiences and kind of figured out the best of like all of the worlds and tasted and sampled. And then you were like, okay, this is what works for us and kept shifting as you shifted and evolved. Cause we all, did. yeah, I always tell people like, that you really have to maintain flexibility because, you know, monogamy is so scripted and is so rigid and structured that you enter into this relationship arena that is like this, like wild frontier. Um, and there's so many places that you can go and so many options and so much learning and unlearning and relearning that you're going to have to, to do. And so like how you started is rarely how you finish. Um, and, and you're going to have multiple deaths, you know, of ideas yeah. and things that you thought you wanted and relationships and things along the way. And you have to be willing to, 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 to let it all come. I always say it's, it's, it's all part of the dance and, um, and monogamy mm -hmm. is dance where the, the, the partners change, the music changes, the floor changes, the steps changes, change. And, um, and you, you, you have to be, you have to be kind of quick on your toes. Um, you have to be willing to self-examine. Um, you have to be willing to afford freedom not only for the people that you are in relationship with, but also for yourself. Um, I think we can hold ourselves to the same rigid standards that we hold the people in our lives to. Um, and all of those things um, uh, pose challenge uh, when you come into this, this, you know, when you come into this world. Um, and so it's important to, to maintain a, a, a spirit of curiosity, of childlike wonder um, and, uh, and grace <laughs> because uh, Nobody, you know, entered into this. I feel like unless you are, you know, a second or even third generation non-monogamous person, which I've met people, you know, that they were like, okay, you know, I come from non-monogamy. They're few and far between. Um, and even then, you know, you're still living in a monogamous society. And so like, you're not, we're still receiving those messages. Um, there's a lot, a lot of unlearning and a lot of unpacking and a lot of, you know, re-envisioning and reimagining for ourselves, you know, what relationships look like when, you know, the only compass that we have is, you know, our own selves. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. So beautifully said. It really, you know, I, I say a lot of times like relationship by design, and I feel like you just put so much content into that heading that I share because it really is like non-monogamy is for people who want to design from a complete, I think, blank canvas. Whereas like monogamy is very much, you know, here's a roadmap. People are always like, well, share your roadmap. Like I, I share my experience with non-monogamy because I think it can help people, but no one's will look like mine, just as no one's will look like yours because we're all so different in our desires and our curiosities. And we might end up, you know, kind of in similar places, but the road there is going to be so wild and so much of a roller coaster. Um, even if you've had like, I've had a lot of work in personal development. So have both of my, you know, partners and we still come across all the challenges. Even if you're like, I'm not the jealous type or I'm not the X, Y, and Z. It's like you, if you're going to do the work, you will realize that you actually have all of that inside you. And that doesn't make you, and I'm like, you know, speaking to all my listeners, doesn't make you like unfit for polyamory or bad at non-monogamy or any of that stuff. So yeah, I just love you speaking to the fact that it's going to be like the wild west. Right. And I think it's, it's very counterintuitive, but you know, going into non-monogamy or going into a relationship arena where you are essentially taking on more connection and more relationship and you discover that it's actually a highly individualized journey. Um, and so it's almost like, like I said, it's almost like counter. It's just like, well, I'm going into this thing because I want more love. I want more connection. I want more relationship. But like the person or the relationship that has been the most intimate is the one that I've had with myself. Um, and so I got into non-monogamy to explore intimacy with other people and explore more intimacy with other people. But the intimacy that has been most challenged is the one that I have with myself. And the one that I have with who I am, what I want, you know, what love means to me, what desire means to me, what pleasure means to me, what my boundaries are. Um, It is very much for me, a journey of uh, self-discovery more so than it is anything else. Um, And that has been the largest benefit of non-monogamy throughout the entire 10 years that I've I've done this. It's been the same answer every time. Um, the biggest benefit to me is, is the self-discovery, all of the things that I learn about myself and in turn, uh, learn about, uh, humans and humanity and the people around me by, by going deeper in my awareness of myself. Yeah. Wow. That's like the pinnacle. I I try to ask people that a lot, like what's the, been the greatest gift. And I think that's, that's so true for this journey. And so thank you for kind of I think coming to that place because if if people went into this kind of with that idea and maybe that intention, I think that there would be a lot less sort of heartbreak and heartache and sort of toxicity within the relationships if people were really committed to their own growth, even in monogamous relationships. It's like monogamy is great if it works for you and if like that's what you want. Um, but I'm a huge fan of like, how can my relationship be a vehicle for growth? Not just for me and my partner, but for me as a woman, as a, as a daughter, as a sister, you know, as a, as a mom eventually, and just like, how can I be the best version of myself in whatever container I'm in? And so 
I love that, that whatever these relationships have brought into your life, they have helped you know yourself deeper. And, um, you know, you, you do a lot of stuff with, um, kind of like self-pleasure practices too. You've like spoken about this. And I think that women in general, there's so much shame around our sexuality that it's almost like we feel disconnected from, I think the, the space of being in charge of our own pleasure. And so I appreciate that about your work a ton. And so for everybody listening, like so many of us, I think we get so consumed with what our relationships with others are like that we forget that we actually can be sexual with ourselves before anybody else. And maybe that's the best place to start to know then what you want out of your sexual relationships. Because I have people that are like, well, I want to be non-monogamous, but I don't really even know like what kind of sex I would want that would be different from what I already have mm-hmm. with my partner, like my husband or my long-term boyfriend or my long-term girlfriend or whatever. And it's like, we'll take some time to explore what you like on your own first, which is you know, something that I don't think we're taught, or at least I wasn't taught like as a woman, no one was like, you know, here's, here's masturbation. Here's what it's like. Here's a vibrator. None of that. It's like, we kind of figure this out on our own. Um, and so I just think it's really cool when we can look at, you know, like non-monogamy also is like, okay, here's the space where I'm with myself and not just like with my one partner. Yeah. I did a, uh, I have a friend who is a, a tantrika and does a lot of like, you know, erotic embodiment practices and things of that nature. And she did a workshop once um, and it was reconnecting women to their sensuality. And as we were going around the room and kind of sharing our different life experiences, I feel like, especially as women, I feel like actually, and I, uh, I just read a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And so I feel like it's humans in general, but especially as women. Um, so we have so many life experiences that take us out of the body, trauma, um, any kind of abuse, even a, a, a very painful birth or pregnancy. We have so many experiences of patriarchy, you know, that says our bodies are not our own. You know, it takes us out of our bodies. Um, and we're socialized to view our sexuality as not ours. So this is something that we are uh, either we're 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 using as a vehicle to procreate, you know, which is about children, um, or is something that we uh, uh, is is for the men in our lives, you know, <laughs> or for our partners. Um, and so because of that, we don't we don't get the message that my sexuality is mine first. Um, and then it's somebody else's, then it's who I choose to give it to, you know, or who I choose to not even give it to, but share it with, you know, so my sexuality actually belongs to me. It doesn't belong to anyone. It is mine. And then I choose to share it with others. I choose to engage it with others. Even if I like, say I enter a kink dynamic to where I, you know, I, I agree to, to have it as a possession of someone else's, that's still a choice that I'm making, you know? So, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, there. so there's a consent to I'm going to give this to you. I'm choosing to give this to you. So, you know, I don't feel like we get the message that our sexuality actually belongs to us and we're sharing it with others. We get the message that our sexuality does not belong to us. It belongs to other people. Um, and um, and so we don't have a lot of agency um, in our sexuality and self-pleasure practices um, help us to, I think, like re- um, uh, get reacquainted with our bodies and specifically reacquainted with our bodies around pleasure. 
I think it also gives us the empowerment to go, I do not need to rely on another person to receive pleasure. I can please myself. And Mm -hmm. when you, that is a very empowering space to be in, especially as a woman, because, you know, when you are, I remember one time, um, I did a, a, a teen fellowship of like these teens in India and we were talking about non-monogamy. Um, and uh, one of the uh, girls, I think she was like, I don't know, she was so young, um, probably like 16 at the most, and was saying to me that she was exploring the uh, uh, non-monogamy because she had a boyfriend and her boyfriend was ready to have sex and she wasn't ready to have sex. And she didn't want to keep him from having sex but she was not ready to do that, you know? And so she was like, I, I don't, I don't want to, um, uh, to give him that. Um, and so I, I but I don't want to limit his uh, capacity to have sex. And so, you know, I want to open it up for him to, you know, pursue sex with others who are ready to do that with him. I'm just not one of them, you know? And that, that to me was such an empowered thing to, to say as a 16 year old, you know, how many of us may not have made the sexual choice that we made throughout the courses of our lives, if we knew how to give ourselves pleasure? If we believe that our sexualities belong to ourselves, if our mom had said, hey, let me take you to go get a, a vibrator, you know, <laughs> let me show you how to do this right. all on your own so that you don't feel like you need some snot nosed teenage, you know, kid, you know, to come in and give you pleasure. Pleasure is something that you can give with to yourself. Pleasure is something that you can access at any time. Um, uh, and also how empowering it is to know your body and to know what it likes and to know what it doesn't like so that you can communicate that to the people that you're having sex with so you can have more fulfilling sex life. And even in my own, you know, now I'm, you know, in, in my forties and even in my forties and, you know, feeling like a very sexually liberated person, a sexually aware person, you know, I am having to revamp my own uh, relationship to my self-pleasure, especially now that my husband and I are divorcing. I live across the country from my current partner. I don't have access to sex in the way that I, I once did. You know, I could sign up for a bunch of Tinder hookups and, you know, and that there's nothing wrong with that. And by any stretch of the word, uh, I tell people all the time, hope is life. OK, so, you know, I, I don't I'm not one of those people <laughs> that um, uh, uh, judges that at all. Um, but at this stage of my life, I'm recognizing that I need a little bit different from sex than what I can get in that space. Mm. Um, and, um, and so like having to like reevaluate my own relationship to self-pleasure because before, for me, it was very uh, kind of fast booty, you know, because I had partners, I had people to be sexual with on pretty regularly. And so if I was masturbating, it was kind of like, ah, I'm just, you know, you know, getting one off before the kids come back home from school or, you know, something like that. Whereas like now um, I'm having to develop a much more um, integrated and a much more sensual self-pleasure practice. Like, you know, I, I realize that I'm kind of a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, lover with myself. And as I'm like retooling the space that like sex and sexuality takes up in my life, I'm having to like retrain my body into like what I want it to be accustomed to experiencing. And that even includes how I interact with it and how I touch it and what I give to it. So, um, so I think it's, it's very mm-hmm. important that the, the real message to me of, of self-pleasure is, is, you know, owning your sexuality, even if it's, you know, you don't want to engage in it at all. You know, um, it's, it's, it's owning your sexuality and, and making it yours um, and not something that, you know, you're kind of uh, something that you're sort of kind of the victim of, you know, because it doesn't really belong to you. You don't wield any power of it, you know, over it. 
So, um, so that to me is probably the number one thing that I, I, you know, push for people is, 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 is self-pleasure and is, is, is reclaiming, um, your sexual agency, your sexual ownership. Um, and those, they're very empowering things to do. Yeah. Wow. That's so, so beautiful. I mean, I, we could dive into a whole conversation around sex education. I feel like jumping from, from this topic to there, but, um, I would love to to revisit, you know, how you do educate your kids. And I don't know their ages, but I think that, you know, what we're talking about here is as adult women um, could have been so helpful, right? When we were growing up and we're talking about like, if we had this information, when we were teens, something I mentioned a lot on the show, how do you, you know, age appropriately talk to your children about sex and sexuality, um, relationships, pleasure, and these types of things? because you know, I don't know where they go to school, but I'm, I'm guessing that they're certainly not learning it there. And most kids like first introduction to sex, if their parents aren't sharing it, or they don't go to like a hippie school with like a great, a great sort of sex ed program is like pornography. Not that pornography is bad, but it's entertainment should not be like a, a kid's first introduction to this world. So how have you navigated that? So my children are all teens for the most part. Um, I have two 16-year-old boys that they'll be 16 in July. And then I have a daughter who is 12. She'll be 13 in December. Um, and initially, we told them that we were non-monogamous. First of all, so number one, one of my number one rules with children is don't insult their intelligence. I feel like as adults, we insult the intelligence of children so much. Like we treat yeah. them like they are just dumb, you know? When they know, and they know not, what's going on. Dumb. They may not be knowledgeable, but not being knowledgeable is not the same as being unintelligent. It just means you mm -hmm. don't have the knowledge, you know? But you can grasp concepts, you know? It, the, the information is presented to you. You can grasp concepts. And I feel like we insult the intelligence of children so much. And so part of my, like, sharing that we were non-monogamous with them came from, you know, we had a partner. She was at the house all the time. And, uh, you know, I, I began to feel like it was insulting the children's intelligence to act like this person was just a regular friend like all of our other friends. And so, and we just told them. We were like, okay, this is what we're doing. I feel like if you don't make things weird, kids won't make them weird, you know? Now, granted, mm -hmm. at that time, my children were um, eight and five, I think. Um, so they were pretty young. And we just said, you know, this is mom and dad's partner. The way mom and dad are in a relationship with each other, you know, this person is with us. I had to come out to them and kind of tell them, you know, what bisexuality is. And then they just said, okay. And then they kind of ran off, you know, <laughs> you know, did, did yeah. kids do. And so now at this stage, you know, we have been, I don't even know that they really remember much of a time, certainly not my daughter, because, you know, she was young, but I don't know that they even really remember much of a time when, you know, mom and dad weren't non-monogamous. So, you know, they, they meet our partners, they know who they are. Um, our partners don't, you know, they don't take on parent roles with their children, which I think is another thing that people think about with polyamory is, oh, well, you know, if I introduce my kids to my partners, you know, they're going to get attached. And I'm like, not, I'm like, people are coming in and out of your kids' lives all the time. Teachers, right. you know, uh, friends. friends at school, neighbors, like, you know, so why people act like that, I don't know. But I think it's like this assumption that, you know, romantic partners take on parent roles with uh, children, which none of my partners have taken on parent roles and with, with my children. They're just other special people in mom and dad's life, no different than my friends or maybe my coworkers. I mean, obviously, you know, that's not necessarily as intimate a relationship, but still. 
So, um, so they've always known, you know, that, that we, we have, we're non-monogamous. Um, and, uh, for me, then it became about, I, I've had so many friends who have, um, had parents that pass away and then they found out these things about their parents that they didn't know that really rocked them and made them feel like I didn't know my mom and dad, you know, why didn't they share that with me? Why, why didn't they let me know that? I, I don't feel like I knew this person. I never want my children to, to say, I don't know my mom. I feel like I don't know who she is. Um, and so because of that, um, it was very important to me to be honest. Like I said, in an age appropriate way. So no, I didn't go home and tell my kids that I was at a swinger party last night and had a foursome, <laughs> you know, um, but they do know, you know, that mom lives an open lifestyle, you know, and that's something that I know. And I have no shame around that because it's not a shameful thing. And I don't, you know, and I, I don't want sex shame and sex negativity in my home. You know, I can't, I can't do a whole yeah. lot about it existing out in the, in the real world. Um, but I can to a certain extent control, you know, it in my home. And so I don't, I don't want that in my home. I don't want them to feel like sex is a bad thing. And so when they would come to me and they would ask me questions or I, you know, see something that they were watching or whatever, you know, I feel like if they're old enough to ask, you know, they're old enough to, uh, get an answer. Now, does that mean that I'm telling them what a rim job is at six? Probably not, you know, (laughs) but, um, but will I say that is a sex act? And uh, when you're older, you know, I can explain what it is. Uh, sure. You know, um, number one, I think it's important to, to, like I said, demystify these things so that they don't have this like, Ooh, you know, because things that are, 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 uh, taboo are more appealing. So I feel like if we demystify these things, you know, you don't get children that feel a necessity to like explore these things at like 12 and 13 and 14 years old when they might not be, you know, uh, developmentally mature enough to, to, you know, navigate all of the emotional, mental and physical consequences mm-hmm. that come with making those choices because it's not this like, oh, you know, kind of thing. It's like, oh, my mom talks to me about that. You know, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, so, you know, that was part of why, you know, I tended to be open about it. I also feel like it is important to be have an open dialogue about those things because I need to know if something inappropriate is going on with my kids. And mm-hmm. if they don't feel, if they feel like any mention of that is going to send me into a tailspin of shame and, and, and guilt and, and, you know, the histrionics, they're going to be less inclined to say, mom, you know, something happened to me and I don't really know how to feel about that, you know? Right. And so, so that was very much a part of like why I wanted to have an open, you know, sort of policy around talking about these things. And so I've literally had conversations. I remember Mother's Day, um, I believe it was Mother's Day 2020. I'm laying in the bed with my sons. And I asked them, I was like, hey, do you guys watch porn? (laughs) I think they were like 15 at the time, 14. Um, And one of my sons was just like, eh, now he was like, I've seen it a couple times, it's not that big of a deal. And that very much is in keeping with like who I know him to be and his personality. I was like, yeah, that checks out. My other son, he got up and went to go run out the door. And I said, stop right there. (laughs) Stop stop right there. And, um, And I assured him that he wasn't in trouble. I was like, you're not in trouble. I said, you're not in trouble. I said, I'm not asking this because I'm trying to punish you. You know, I just want to know, you know, have you reached the stage? Because at your age, that's what I was doing. You know, I didn't have the internet yeah. at the time. So I didn't have as much of a, a access to it. Um, uh, I, I believe that, you know, we didn't get dial up till I was maybe like 15. Um, but, you know, was I, you know, trying to see what was on the, you know, Skinamax channel through the static, you know, on the table? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so I was doing all that stuff, oh, you know, yeah. at, at their age and, you know, 
you know, poking through my mom's stuff, looking for, you know, VHS porn tapes. Sure. You know, I was doing all that stuff as a kid. So, you know, and, and now, you know, these kids have so much access to, to, to sex. So like right at their fingertips that, you know, I don't, I don't see why we still carry these very puritanical and sort of, uh, uh, shrouded in mystery ideas about sex when literally all the kid has to do is just hop on Google and have this ready cachet of porn right. available to them. And so, you know, and so I asked my kids and, you know, my son opened up to me about what he liked to watch. And it was a very funny conversation. I was just like, whoa. My, and my husband was a little bit more um, uh, uh, private um, and skittish around these things. It was just like, why are we having this conversation? <laughs> he was just like, Dita, really? Um, and I talked to my son and I said, there's nothing wrong with this. I said, there's nothing wrong with this. There's also nothing wrong with pornography. I said, nothing wrong with pornography, nothing wrong with the people that engage in pornography. However, I said, pornography is fantasy. It is not the way sex actually exists in the world and how you, you, you know, you navigate it. Um, it has a lot of, of things in it that um, are, are these hyper-characterized versions of things that are really wrong in society and like how we interact in relationships. And so this is not a realistic picture or portrayal of sex and sexuality. It's designed to appeal to fantasy and fantasy about sex. Mm -hmm. And so if you use this as a template for how you're supposed to engage in sex in real time, you're going to be at a disadvantage. Um, yeah. And so you need to know that. And so you can enjoy it in this space. And also actual sex doesn't really shake out um, the way it does on screen. And so, and if you see anything that is uncomfortable um, or you're like, I don't know how to feel about this, you can come to me and you can talk to me about it. And I'll be, I'll, you know, I'll be straight up with you. And, um, and then I also told him, you know, cause my, my other son, uh, was like, he, he, he was like, he's so loud. Like he was like, he said, sometimes I'm like, bruh, get headphones, like put your headphones on. And so I told my son, I said, you know, you need to make sure that you are, um, engaging in, uh, consent around like when you watch it, you know, so like not be watching it in mm -hmm. the middle of the living room, you know, when other yeah. people may come in. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like, I've always been very, I, I tell uh, people that like my mom goals with regards to my kids and sexuality is, is uh, Barbara Streisand's character in Meet the Fockers. Remember how like open like she was with Greg, you know, about sex yeah, and sexuality. Um, that's kind of how I, I strive and endeavor to be with my children of like, hey, like I want you to be able to talk to me about this because there's a lot of really crappy information out there about sex. Um, uh, and, um, and I would rather... Uh, you be able to sit down across the table from me and say, hey, mom, can I talk to you about this? Um, then be talking to your little friends who are getting the same crappy information that you are or, you know, some outlet that is, you know, uh, full of sex negativity and sex shame um, or the reverse, you know, and so um, some outlet that is like promoting unhealthy um, uh, engagement with sex and sexuality. Um, I would rather them just come to me um, and talk to me about it. And so I've always kind of been someone who's like, you know, I have to, and, and in order for me to actually really be able to do that, I have to be comfortable with sex and sexuality with myself, you know, because I can't yeah. teach them yeah. comfort if I have no comfort, you know, so if they see that I'm visibly uncomfortable, then that's what I'm going to pass along to them. And I don't want to do that because I'm like, the reason why all of us are, I would say the reason why I said, you know, people are out there, so many people out there having shitty sex. And because of that war, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying like, and I mean, obviously that's very simplistic, but I'm like, you know, like sex is a human need. Sex is a wellness thing. Um, and having, having, um, having a empowered, healthy, 
uh, authentic relationship with your sex and sexuality, be that asexuality, megasexuality, whatever, um, uh, is a wellness. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, a point of wellness. Um, and so, yeah. Absolutely. And so I want to make sure that I am promoting, um, total wellness for my children. Um, and, and sexuality is just one aspect of that. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate you sharing about this, this topic and like educating your kids, you know, first at home on sexuality. We, we just did an episode, it was like episode 30, just, I think two weeks ago, um, on erotic wellness and, uh, the guest I had on Nadez, she's, she's amazing. And it was just basically all about reclaiming your own like eroticism. It doesn't even have to be through sex, but like wellness in general, any kind of body-based pleasure. And I feel like we, we talked about that a lot today and I super appreciate your insight. Um, I, I have so much more that I want to chat about. So maybe when you're back from Ecuador and in the States, we can do another episode because I would love to dive in with you further about your journey and, and how you are as an educator. Um, I've learned so much from you already, and I just appreciate all the work that you do. Um, I also appreciate how openly you talk about content creators and like, and being paid for your work. And so while we're not going to like dive into that, I definitely want to give people an opportunity to follow you to, um, you know, be in spaces where you're doing more education, how they can support your work through, um, your cash app and other platforms. So if you can give everybody that vocally now, um, I am going to link it in the show notes too. Um, but for those of my listeners who like to hear in an audio format, where can people find you and support you? So, um, I am on Instagram mostly. That's largely where my content is. And that is at Lavita Loca 34, all one word. So L A V I T A L O C A 34, um, on, uh, Instagram. I'm also on Facebook at Lavita Loca Sawyers. And then and if you go to my Instagram and go to my Facebook, uh, most posts that I generate myself, obviously I don't do this on posts where I'm sharing other people's content, but on my content, um, I have my cash app information, um, my Venmo information. Um, so that way you can tip me. Um, I do have a Patreon, um, but I don't tend to direct people to it just because I'm still fleshing out like how to navigate these things. I'm actually not very technologically savvy. It's so funny. My partner laughs at me about this all the time. I sort of, tripped into this. It was a pandemic experiment that just exploded. And so I have a love-hate relationship with content creation and um, technology and sort of being this person that I am while also recognizing that it does have immense value. Mm -hmm. I am grateful for the ability to help people be the help for people that I needed when I needed help. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. um, I'm grateful for, for that opportunity and I'm deeply humbled um, that uh, I am able to give voice to people's innermost thoughts and emotions and their, their feelings. And so I don't take that lightly. Find me on Instagram. Find me on um, Facebook. That's where you'll get the most updates of, of what I'm doing, where I'm at, what I have going on. Looking forward to connecting with your community more. Yeah, same, same. We definitely would love to bring you back and just really appreciate you, your time, your beautiful energy. And yeah, let's do this again sometime. Oh, absolutely. This was a great conversation. 
All right, loveys. That's been another amazing episode. Definitely check the show notes for all of those links so you can follow Vita. Um, she's really the bomb and definitely be on the lookout because I'm for sure having her back for another episode. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.